0: Hello, calm parents. Welcome back to another episode of Parenting Teens with Dr. Cam. I'm your host, Dr. Cam. And today I'm talking with Dr. Ian Chen, an adolescent medicine expert and researcher. Dr. Chen's research combines psychology, medicine, neuroscience, and mathematical modeling together in order to understand the development of the adolescent brain and to help young people become more resilient. As a researcher in brain maturation using brain imaging technologies, Ian often provides educational events in the community in order to facilitate discussions on the impact of technology on the developing brain and its social ramifications. He continues to research brain maturation using EEG and brain imaging techniques as a part of their research and development at the new mental health institution that he is heading, Chen Metamo Corporation, Welcome, Ian, I am so excited to have you here.
1: Hi, Dr. Cam. thank you so much for having me on here. I'm very excited to uh, to talk to you about sort of all the wonderful stuff that's uh, actually being developed in mental health space that we're both in.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I'm personally excited to talk to you because I get really geeked out about brain science and what we now know about the teen brain and how that influences their behavior. Um, so, I've got my own questions too, but tell us first a bit about you and how you got into this field, particularly focused on adolescents.
1: Yeah, I know. Um, it's very interesting because I actually started off in engineering and I was initially a chemical engineer. And uh, I always had a fascination in sort of how to understand uh, how just systems work and then how to sort of use that model to kind of help us better uh, facilitate, you know, uh, control it to sort of do the things that we need to do in engineering. And then I kind of got really interested in medicine. So just, you know, I ended up going to med school after, <laughs> um, primarily also because I was really interested in just how structure of the body sort of could affect, uh, the function as well that, that, because so I think too often we think of medicine as purely med, you know, taking medication and just very physiologic as opposed mm. to sometimes thinking about structural, you know, what, what our body's organs and how it, it can all combine together structural uh, to the function. Right. So that, that, the aspect I found, I found very, very interesting. So I got into medicine and uh, um, got into pediatrics and, and, you know, was uh, very much into mental health because my, um, uh, some specialties actually adolescent medicine, which even though it deals primarily in terms of the pubertal, uh, physical development, but a huge section of that is also on the brain development, mm. uh, the cognitive development as well. And uh, obviously, there's a lot of, um, it's a huge roller coaster that people kind of go through. Like If we think about human uh, uh, child development, there's a lot of stuff happens in the first two years. Um, You know, we can all sort of, uh, my colleagues in uh, early pediatrics, they would certainly attest to that. And also, I'm sure all the parents as well, like all the amazing milestones that, that occurred in the early stages, all the way till, you know, like later on, maybe two uh, three, four, there's still a lot of excitement stuff that goes on. Um, but I think the brain sort of, um, you know, kind of takes a little bit more of a autopilot for a bit mm-hmm. until it gets into puberty again. Mm-hmm. And usually like maybe nine or 10, depending on, like, I think girls usually uh, kick starts a little bit earlier than boys. And, um, and, and you know, once that sort of phys- physical puberty starts, there's a tremendous amount of changes, actually um, pruning that happens in the brain as well, and and we're you know often we think about you know teenagers with them sort of rolling their eyes or slamming their doors when they get upset about stuff or are very much risk takers, um, but you know a lot of what I do is you know really trying to understand why that happens and then so instead of actually looking at it as a negative how can we actually better understand where the teens are coming from and then so then they can better navigate the world and then so hopefully they can actually um, mature their brain and develop you know, you know actually just you know, facilitate for a healthier development and so then they become more resilient so a lot of that is um, I ended up um, had um, some research and also I did a lot of academic work at one of the big hospitals in, in Toronto. And, um, but I just realized that uh, there's just so much mental health um, in a regular community that is just not very, uh, I, w- I would say, you know, it's very difficult for them to reach uh, major academic centers, um, mm. just because of the fact that you're right downtown, it's not very accessible. And We also know that there's still um, mental health is one of those things that is, in addition to stigma, it's not always easy to detect, right? So, and I think um, I really saw that there was a need to get into the community. So I got into community, uh, developed a program, but then also realized that there's just a limitation in terms of a lot of our standard techniques really um, just wasn't, um, I just feel like there wasn't just enough because I, I don't, uh, there's still, we know a lot about how to help uh, in terms of therapy and in terms of medication, what to do with anxiety, what to do with depression and so on and so forth. But I always thought there's just something really missing. So when the technology, and, um, you know, EEG became more used in terms of um, uh, mental health space, uh, what we call the quantitative EEG to kind of help us, and see what happens and which part of the brain is being utilized as mm. someone is actually performing a task or having a conversation with you. Um, I, I really saw that as an opportunity to really understand more about, so what's really happening in the actual brain, like, and, and, and because we often think of the brain itself, whatever happens is neurology, whatever happens in terms of um, mental health is psychiatry, psychology, mm. mental health, social work. But in reality, I, I actually think of all of those are uh, neuroscience. Um, I think that, you know, if you think about what um, it's not the perfect example, but it's almost like a computer. Like if you can understand uh, what happens in the hardware, you can also better optimize for better software. And, and if you have software that's completely built without understanding the hardware, a lot of times you're like, oh, I, I'm missing a driver. I can't do this thing. I can't. <laughs> There's just a lot, a lot of wasted um, energy and sometimes just a lot of conflict that could happen. And uh, I really think that understanding um, more structurally and or just more how our learning and how everything works in our brain um, can really help us understand more the actual cause of sometimes a lot of the mental health conditions. Mm-hmm. So then I started to sort of look into that um, and um, really saw um, the advantage of that. But again, it's because this is, it's not very widely available because it's still very um, niche. So I decided to sort of, you know, create my own institution and sort of start to sort of address that. So that's a very long <laughs> No, <laughs> it's into fascinating. What I
0: <laughs> and I, I just, um, I, I think that the fact that you're looking at the actual science of what's going on, um, because there's still so much confusion about what mental health is. Right. And I think there's a lot of misinformation out there or misperception. And I think even just with Simone Biles, you know, the different reactions that that, uh, that created, um, shows people's misunderstanding of what mental health is. I think a lot of people are like, just suck it up and be tough. And that's, not putting into account what's going on in the brain yes
1: yes for sure
0: right and there's something that I love you said um you say like there's a difference between what we're thinking of as terms of mental health and you like to call it something different which I think it changes our perception can you tell us a little bit about the difference between mental health and what you call mental performance
1: yeah so I think of um in terms of so we tend to tend to think of just like anything that's medical or health, we tend to think in terms of uh, what goes wrong, right? Like the pathology, we usually wait until when something causes a dysfunction in our day to day lives. And we say, Okay, we need to go see a, a professional, and then they can diagnose with whatever. And so it's either you have something or you don't have something. Yeah. And, but I think, I tend to see because now I understand a little bit more about what the brain does, and understand that a lot of it is very similar to how an athlete can start to learn a sport, and then kind of get better and better at it, and can train to be very specialist in their particular area. And it's very much like our physical uh, physical science in you know, the physical health in the sense that for a long time, actually, wasn't that, uh, wasn't that long ago. If you had a surgery. Uh, the physicians will have you rest um, in bed for a long time because they think you need to rest and recover. And then later on, they start to realize wait a minute, the recovery time is so much longer, then there's a potential infection. There's also a bunch of other things, and pain doesn't get better. Then we start to realize wait a minute, if we start to get them working, using their body, get them out, out of bed, get them moving, and rehabilitate, you're training your body to a new set point. Right, like now, whatever the, the after the surgery, you you can actually um, get that recovery uh, right away after the surgery, and you can train the body to the new new state, and you can actually function better, and the pain will be much better controlled as well. And mental health is the same; it's like rehabilitation. Our uh, understanding the billions of neurons we have, and how much uh, communication that happens, and how much learning, and how much uh, consolidation of pathways that. that 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 goes on all the time and you know the old phrase of you know if you don't use it you lose it is actually very true at Mm -hmm. least as far as how our brain works is that if you don't uh use a particular uh function if you are very good in say math and if you don't practice that all the time yes you may still be able to go back and you may be a little bit like riding a bicycle but you will be a lot harder if you haven't done it for a long time and and so now um so i think of Mental health. Rather than think of it in terms of what is actually a problem, what is not a problem, I think of it as purely a, a, a spectrum. So everybody can go in and out of, say, depressed, de- depressive state or anxiety state, or mm-hmm. you know, under very stressful conditions, and then they can get out of that. Or when people have uh, they go through grieving process. A lot of people, they go through a lot of the process when they have experienced severe trauma, but then a lot of people also with proper support, they also found a way to bounce back. But some people don't. So it's really a trajectory. I think of it as, you know, this 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 spectrum. We go in and out from one state mm-hmm. to another. And maybe the way that we should perceive that is how do we understand what state we are, self-awareness of what state we are, and how do we then navigate us out of where we don't want to be? And so to think of, it, rather than who has a particular mental health disorder, who doesn't, everybody essentially just trying to look and understand how our brain works and how our mental uh, performance works. And I'd like to use the word, uh, the word performance because it's Think of it as actually trying to be, get better at what they do. So, you know, you think, think about if we can, um, people that struggle with focusing in school rather than thinking necessarily of a particular condition they may or may not have hmm. that's think about, okay, so what, 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 what's happening when I'm losing focus, maybe maybe. With, with now the technology, we can actually show people a little bit more about what's hap- what's happening in terms of their brainwave. And we can help them and we can help them train themselves to go mm. from a state of distractibility to a little bit more focused. And what, what I love about this is that it really teaches people to learn self awareness, but also control this idea of self locus of control. The idea that we actually have, um, you know, we have a lot of ability to control what happens in our body, but also in our mind. And, and, you know, so this idea of optimizing, training our mind to be better, to perform better. I like that, um, you know, paradigm, as opposed to the, the, the traditional idea of pathology and, you know, whether you have a disorder or not.
0: Yeah. It focuses more on finding a solution than dealing with a problem. So you've got, there's like, you can say, oh, my kid has this, or I have this, and we have to deal with this other than, okay, my kid's having difficulty with this. What can we do about it? How can we help them? So uh, let me ask you, because I know a lot of parents right now are really worried about their children's level of anxiety, their lack of what they're saying, motivation. I question, you know, what motivation is, but what we call motivation, right? Um, and just their, their kind of fear of trying anything new. So there's a lot of things where they're kind of in this mindset, right? I see it and correct me if I'm wrong, you're the expert here. So I'm trying to like, make sure I'm saying it correctly, but you know, they're in this mindset of kind of failure and I can't do it right. Or I feel kind of like I'm helpless. What can parents do to help their teens get out of that mindset and help them focus on, you know, so focus on solutions.
1: Yeah, no, it's a very good, um, I think, of course, without knowing the individual, individuals, because I I think every kid is different, but I think we first, first of all, the general tips I would have is we need to acknowledge that there's a lot of um, unusual stuff that's happening in the world today. (laughs) So the reality is, We've gone through. If you look at, you know, what's on social media to what's on the news, or depending on your, I, I guess, where you get your information, you, you know, a lot of times it's very easy to feel very stressed because uh, if you're talking about about health, uh, obviously, right now with the pandemic, you can get so many different ideas about what's happening and and what you should do about that and then a lot of times these ideas are very much in opposition to one another and you also have stuff that's happening in uh financial world that seems to be also many many different ideas and who knows what's going on and you hear one cam that says oh things are you know doing great and the other cam says oh my god things are going to collapse or whatever so the reality is I, I think with information, uh, with so much information technology advancement in the last, I would say even the last 10 years alone, I think we've really have, it's almost like we have a little bit of information overload in our population and that, and that transcends borders, right? And I think with so much information and sometimes information that conflict with one another, it's very natural to feel um, stressed and fearful. A lot of the more primal instincts of, uh, humanity, like fear, and sometimes just kind of feeling very, um, you know, this this shock, and, and and sometimes almost like this fight or flight response. It's very, um, it's very appropriate to have that kind of feeling right now. So I think it's important for parents to be able to acknowledge some of the things that's happening, but important, but with 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 their kids, and then be able to actually have some maybe some conversations about their questions and be able to have some grounding in terms of, you know, what is actually happening and how can they actually tease through all the different information that's out there. And then the other piece I would suggest is try to really invigorate that curiosity that's in them or that was in them when, because every child, if, if, if any parents remember all the way back when they were little babies and, and even toddlers, Every child had a tremendous amount of curiosity, because in many ways, we actually need to be curious in order to survive, because that's how we learn things, how we navigate and form an idea of the world around us. And so there we can better survive and do well. And, but the problem is when we feel very afraid and when there's so much uncertainty in the world, it's very natural to go inwards. Because of course we don't want to go outside. And and if we go outside, something horrible is gonna happen. With the pandemic, of the, the virus is a very real thing, but in reality, we also know that virus is not visible to human eye. <laughs> that's why it's very difficult because and that in itself is very scary. And, you know, before we even know about the bacteria or the the virus theories, uh, way back, we used to think that things were, um, you know, people were sick because of whatever uh, religious reasons or other things that happened, right? I think humans have, you know, tremendous uh, drive to want to understand, but when we don't have the right information or when we have too much information that we don't know what's right from wrong, I think we get into the state of we can become almost superstitious and we can become almost shot to inaction or we just don't know what to do and that that kind of high stress level can really uh, uh in many ways uh really decrease our sense of curiosity and our sense of control so i think the idea that to acknowledge what's happening to help the kids understand at least at least a little bit about what's going on you know in their day-to-day lives and also their conversation with their friends um and then to try to encourage, remind them of curious uh, curiosity. Maybe the stuff that they used to do, whether it's playing a particular sport or music or any other things or building just some interesting projects, I think maybe spending some time with them to re- reinvigorate some of their uh, interest uh, and try to give them a sense of, you know, especially working with their hands and try to see that they can actually get back some of that curiosity. By doing that, I think that can you know, really um, try to get them to back to a space where they can feel like they have control over what kind of things that they, they can, you know, they, they actually want to hear more about or want to do more about, want to learn more about. And I think that's one of the things that um, is really, unfortunately, uh, lacking, because I think school traditionally has been a great space for that. But I think right now, with, with all the stuff that's happening with the pandemic, people have And again, there are sections of uh, parts of the country that the schools were shut down for a long time. And parts of the country, the schools were um, a mixed models of in-person and virtual for a long time. And now when they go back, there's a lot of inconsistencies about how to go back. And I'm sure the teachers and the staff were just as anxious, just like everybody else. And I think, you know, it's very important for the parents to try to... um, have those kind of difficult conversations um, with their kids and maybe just kind of go through some of the, the new stuff that, that, that we get every day or at least from their sources. and then be able to prepare them in terms of almost like going back to the first day of school when they, or first day of kindergarten. you know what's good, what it's going to be like. And then you know be aware that maybe there's gonna be a little bit of separation too because some of the kids, if they've been inside for a long time, going back full swing for some people, they may adapt really quickly, but for some people they're not going to do so well because there's just, you know, it's still a huge change and the world is different today than it was, you know, a year ago. So I think acknowledging and then, and also try to, uh, you know, basically help them see things and, and reinvigorate their curiosity and try to get them to, you know, say, Hey, at the end of the day, remember that there's still a lot of the things that's going right right I mean, it's very easy to focus on a lot of things that went wrong but there's yeah. so much stuff that went right and, and the fact that we're even talking about going back to school going back to re, uh, reopening the economy the fact that we're even going you know thinking about more and more of the the, the the normal stuff that we used to do i think it's really a testament that science in many ways have kind of helped us to get here. So I think it's very important to acknowledge the stuff. Again, we don't know as scientists, I can tell you, we know, we, we don't know a lot of things, but we, also, but I can also tell you that we know a lot more than we used to yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. and, 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 and the scientific method in many ways is still, um, ha- even though it has its flaws, but it is still a very good way to help us understand things. And so that we can, um, do things. That's again, more good than bad. Right? I mean, if you think about uh, where we are, even just the fact that we have amazing buildings, in our cities having amazing infrastructures that uh, we have so many, uh, we can have millions of people in the city and yet not having uh, communal, uh, communicable uh, infectious disease going rampant, uh, you know, die plague, whatever. Granted, you can argue about the, that COVID is a little bit different scenario, but the fact that we can deal with um, basic sanitation that prevents a lot of these things From happening, and the fact that we, you know, can have people really pursuing their interests—they can be the best musician, they can be the best scientist—they can really expand their um, mind—is really a testament to the fact that, um, you know, I think we've learned a lot as a species uh, of the world around us, and um, that's very important to know that, uh, that a lot of the methods and science that we use to get us here. Uh, it still works. I mean, the fact that yeah. we use phones every day, it's amazing how we have this almost like a walking comp- what, this portable computer uh, that, you know, wasn't uh, what few decades ago, a computer is, you know, the size of a room.
0: So. Yeah. So, I, you know, going into, let's dig a little bit into the fact that we've got phones in our hands all the time, because I think this is tapping into one of parents' biggest uh, you know, fears and they're just the bane of their existence, right? Are these devices and our teens' addiction and our addictions to these? So, talk about from a brain perspective what is the impact of our kids using these devices so much? And what can parents effectively do to help their kids with their addiction to their phones?
1: So what we do know in terms of um, people that are actually on their phone a lot, and again, let me just say, because I think there are people that if they have developed a, a, a good amount of habits, that um, essentially is a result of, let's just say, a more mature prefrontal cortex, and that's really a, the area of the brain that's responsible for impulse control, responsible for, uh, a, again, you know, uh, better decisions, if you will. and and. And I think people that are more um, able to uh, control their impulses and they're able to sort of make better decisions, they generally, technology or phones and computers can actually be an extremely helpful tool because they actually use as a tool. So I've seen uh, some of the very high performing, say, um, uh, athletes or musicians, and they could be on their... You know, maybe watching Netflix for you know, binge watch a season for something. But very quickly, they go back to their practice. They are very able to stay on, on top of what they're doing. And in fact, they use the technology to uh, look at all the other wonderful musicians that's out there and 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 learn from each other and, and actually better augment their technique. And so that's where when people use technology, um, they can really, especially what's available today, if they can use it, um, with a purpose, meaning that they they, mm. they have some sort of feed-forward control, that they have an idea and they're using that to learn uh, and then they, you know, to kind of help them to whatever it is that they're doing better, then I think technology is great. And we see that in terms of their brain pattern is much more holistic. The fact that they are still using, there's a lot of frontal lobe activity that's going on and a lot, you know, it's still, in some ways, uh, in charge, you know, in charge of, you know, what's what they're what they're doing, and I think having technology that way has a very different um, brainwave pattern, or at least how it sort of lights up in uh, in terms of what we see is very different compared to what I would say spoon feeding. <laughs> so if I have, um, it's almost like when I'm teaching students. Um, You know, if I don't tell them, hey, today's teaching point is this, you know, they would say that, you know, we didn't really learn anything today, even though the content of what I said is exactly the same. And so so I think that because I think the idea is that if we... The, the technology today especially whether you're talking about entertainment purposes like social media which by the way for i'm sure a lot of young people would not say it's just entertainment because that's really in the way their uh, their ability to connect it's almost like develop some sort of social connection also social order in their in their circle yeah. so it's very vital i think to their natural I, I guess socialization however it is important to recognize that a lot of these things are not really as random as it seems. A lot of these things are, there's pre-building algorithms that make the content very attractive. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that goes on in the back end that young people would never think of um, because you know, they are actually being fed content that they think is amazing. It's the reason why a lot of them can go on it for, and stay on it for a long time, because I think it, as long as you're more of a passenger of, in, in the car, not the driver, I think you can get into trouble. And then we see that because they really get fed, uh, again, you can get fed very scary stuff all the time. Therefore you see the fear center of the brain really light up and then they end up becoming even more, uh, either, uh, anxious or they just become very sometimes depressed and very uh, unable to, you know, kind of go outside and do things. Just again, change their behavior to, uh, people that, um, Again, they may be watching something that they think is absolutely great. They see this amazing reward center light up all the time because, hey, I'm doing this all the time and I, I'm getting the content fed to me. And I think I'm learning. I think I'm doing stuff. But then very quickly, they lose touch of reality. And, 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 and so what happens is that when you start to lose touch with reality stuff, It's very easy to start to get into this La La Land theory. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's out there today that think that, um, you know, we could all be living in a simulation. Now, I can talk about, you know, the philosophical ideas behind that. And again, that could be very interesting. But I do think that um, a lot of this is triggered by the fact that we are increasingly, um, I think it's increasingly believable that we are... you know that we're potentially living in some sort of virtual reality because technology is becoming so realistic. Mm. But there but I think but again knowing that and it's seeing how these sort of centers, the primal part of the brain are getting so lit up by these technologies, especially when they fed when they're fed to your phone and you you're not doing any decision making right when you see alert you look at it you just keep looking at it as opposed to you say i'm not i'm working on something the phone is secondary i'm putting it away i'm only going to use it because hey i'm actually going to look up something i need to do this uh, for whatever it is I'm, I'm working on very different scenarios so i think the key thing is if you have a child who is early on in terms of technology having um no phone at dinner table to why is it that we have phones um and why when do you use them and understand that just because your information fed to you doesn't necessarily mean that you need to respond right away you need to mm-hmm. break that that sort of almost like that uh, slot machine thing that you hit that you get some yeah. reward right away and we need to unlearn that almost like pavlodian <laughs>
0: yeah i mean adults get pulled into that too right
1: exactly right but then i think Really teaching, having that sort of come again, and also develop good habits because a lot of adults also fall into that, right? Mm -hmm. So, again, we got to watch what we're doing in front of uh, other people, the children, and then be able to sort of uh, all sort of learn from each other and sort of uh, role model that. Now, if you have a child who is already very much into that. I think, you know, that becomes harder because I think if they are really uh, in that space so much that they are, say, starting to skip school or they start to not want to have real-life connections and prefer to have connections only online, unfortunately, I think, um, it, you know, it gets into, sometimes you may actually need to have professional support or um, I would say first and foremost, try to uh, maybe have a little bit, introduce the concept of um, some technology-free time. It sounds a little bit odd, but I think it's almost like, you know, maybe, you know, you can uh, do a daily, maybe right after the dinner or whatever it is. You say, okay, everybody, you know, there's no technology uh, or sometimes maybe even just have going on a go, go, go to a cottage where there's nothing and actually get reacquainted in some ways to nature right? I think the idea that um, it, it's amazing sometimes, I see this all the time uh, with young people, that we could literally be outside and you have this gorgeous view. <laughs> you could be walk, you know, walking by the waterfront and there's this gorgeous view and everything's, you know, there's just amazing stuff that's happening. And then the young person's focus is completely on this tiny little screen that you're yeah. literally looking at as you're walking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, so I, I think Going to places where I would say, you know, basically no reception, if you will, know. yeah, <laughs> or yeah. minimum reception, and, and just kind of get back to, uh, uh, you know, nature and even just understand a little bit about, like, you know, well, we actually were able to live without these things. Mm. (laughs) and 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 uh, and, and at at the end of the day it's still a phone and then kind of the idea of getting back to it's a communication device and if you really want to do something more substantive really you should use your computer for research or you can use your computer for whatever it is that you're doing again again teaching that habit of having more purpose of why you're using a technology Mm. And then what kind of technology is better suited for your purpose. So sometimes if you're doing schoolwork, maybe it's better to go to your computer as opposed to on your phone. Um, If you are, you know, maybe thinking about maybe only using your phone as uh, when you need to text people or call people. And I would also encourage parents to, um, you know, uh, also with young people to encourage them to maybe spend more time, you know, either seeing know, friends in Person, or I would almost say it's funny, you know, kind of get back to calling people more as opposed to just texting or communicating through uh, just mm. social media postings of any like you yeah. know different different uh, channels. Because I think you know there's there's it's really irreplaceable to have a real life, just all the different uh, nuances of human communication. When you're even just talking on the phone, uh, or and definitely when people spend time in real life with people, there's just a lot more. Uh, um, stuff that, that, that goes on, that you're even learning about human expressions and, and just a lot of body language that is unfortunately missing uh, and it's, it's, and in, in these sort of technologies. And we know that it, it definitely changes, or at least we can, I can tell you that the, the brain that is using the technology with more of a purpose that they can actually better control its use and also relishes like day-to-day actually natural world their brainwave pattern looks different Mm -hmm. than the ones that actually are very much immersed in technology on a almost like without their control basically they get up that's the first thing that they do they they, all the way through that's the last thing they do when they go to bed (laughs) so i think that's um and I, i see technology very broadly it's not just phone it could also be video games Uh, Again, even video games now is on the phone as well and and to VR headsets to, you know, again, I'm not saying that these are technology itself is not good or bad, right? It's use. That's the issue. And also it's using the context of uh, the, the user. So if the user is using technology uh, as a tool to help this person to do whatever they, that they're doing, I think it's absolutely great, right? And I think in science, I actually think, you know, we are really in this amazing age where we can do so many things um, that we weren't able to do. I mean, even just idea of the vaccine, right? The idea that the technology goes into that, it's, in, it's quite amazing to, you know, but, but as opposed to someone who uh, is, in many ways, controlled by the technology. Yeah. And, so and, I, and yeah.
0: So I'm just, I'm really hearing like balance is key, purpose is key, what are you doing with it, right? And then just the curiosity of it too, and understanding like what they're getting from it, and can they get that from something else? So I think the making, saying that technology is this evil thing is not really the right direction. It's more about how do we use it in a more healthy way. Yes. Is that absolutely. right? Okay. Absolutely. So, so Dr. Chen, there's, oh, I have so many more questions and we're out of time right now. So I'm going to have to come <laughs> back because I've got like a laundry list of stuff. I still want to ask you, but, um, so how can people find you?
1: Um, so the, I think the best way is just go to the website, chenmedimo.org. Uh, um, and I'm not sure whether I guess you're in, and you're posting or your channel. I'm not sure that the spelling is C-H-E-N-M-E-D-I-M-O.org. Uh, that's the institution that I just started not too long ago. Um, it's, uh, again, it's a research institution, but as well as a, a consulting institution. So I, um, you know, kind of offer a consultation for people that, again, to you know, try to focus on mental performance. And so uh, if you have, um, say, trouble, for example, focusing, and you really want to target that, uh, we can use technology to, to, to kind of help you see what, what your brain is doing. And so therefore to try to learn better habits to, you know, like a very, um, you know, an elite athlete that wants to know how to uh, get into that zone. And especially, I mean, um, Biles is a good example of that. I'm not knowing the details of that. But I think knowing a lot of the pressures and knowing, you know, just uh, all the stuff that could be happening that could, you know, kind of get into this really optimal zone to uh, not, right? To completely sort of uh, getting the mental um, uh, other factors to sort of in some ways derail them into uh, this other, uh, space. So again, so I sort of, um, offer a consultation for that. Um, but a lot of the, we also, in our research, uh, uh section, we also try to, uh, put, um, you know, some, we're building a reference library on, uh, some of the latest in terms of our own research, but as well as other people's research, just kind of, uh, almost like decode a little bit about, uh, mm-hmm. all the EEG stuff that's out there. Um, like I said, it's a very new area, but I think North America is—we're a, a little bit behind. Um, I think they've been doing that in, I think, Asia and Europe actually for, um, you know, for a while before us. Um, but I think we're starting to. Um, this more and more and uh, um so but at the same time we also caution that there's also a lot of people that's using this and cleaning a lot of things with the too so you know so yeah. i would say that uh, we need to be uh, cautious in terms of uh, the resources that's out there so i'm trying to you know kind of provide something that is um uh, grounded on at least what we know and not overclaim things Uh, But at the same time, um, I can also help people more directly in a practical way as well in terms of whatever it is that they're they're struggling with.
0: That's amazing. That is great. Thank you so much for jumping on and joining us today. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. And uh, and again, thank you for doing that great work. I know uh, that's very important to people out there talking to the parents. I'm sure it's a very challenging time.
0: There, yeah, there's a there's a lot of questions out there and a lot of a lot of fears and anxieties that parents are experiencing, too. So and parents, I want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us today. If you want to learn more about how to help your teens succeed, you can grab my free guide, Seven Secrets to Motivating Teens at AskDrPam.com slash Motivate Teens. Finally, if you enjoyed this episode and all the helpful strategies that Dr. Chen shared with us, please take a quick moment to rate and review. This helps other parents like you find this show. I encourage you to share it with a friend as well. Until next time, have a peaceful, positive, calm day. And we're done. Great. (laughs) And that's a wrap. And remember, parenting teens may not be easy, but with my help, it can be a whole lot easier than this.